Hello and welcome. I am Dr. Lara May, a clinical pharmacist specializing in functional medicine, as well as a certified yoga teacher and Reiki master. I run a truly integrative health coaching practice, encompassing functional medicine lab testing, yoga and meditation, and a sprinkling of Reiki energy medicine. Join me here on Light Body Radio to break through your health plateau and come into alignment with your natural vitality. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Light Body Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Lara May, and today I have with me Rebecca Ribbing, or Becca Ribbing. (laughs) Either works. Either works. (laughs) She is the author of the Clarity Journal. She's a clarity coach, and I consider a clarity expert. So welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. I feel like this is something that I can definitely use (laughs) some help with. And so I'm sure that there's plenty of other people out there that are going to get a lot of benefit out of this today as well. So welcome. Tell us about yourself and how you became a Clarity Coach and the author of the Clarity Journal. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's so funny because when I like internally laughed when you said that like you need help with this, I became a Clarity Coach basically because my own journey through finding clarity, like my own journey of, you know, getting slightly off track and then coming back to what is really important to me. And this has happened multiple times throughout the course of my life, right? Like we always are growing and we're always changing. And so what worked for us four years ago isn't going to work for us today. And I think that oftentimes we lose sight of the fact that that growth is so key to our development, to our happiness. We as humans don't really, don't stay stagnant well. We aren't happy when we're stagnant. And so even something that brought us joy and happiness two years ago isn't necessarily going to still challenge us in a way that makes us feel fulfilled now. So I basically started writing the Clarity Journal because I had been a coach for probably, it took me a while to get the Clarity Journal out because your first book always takes the longest. And so this was maybe a couple of years ago and I was going back and forth about how to integrate my business into the reality that I was now a mother of two kids. (laughs) And I was trying to figure out what I wanted the course of the next couple of years to look like. And as I was going back and forth, you know, as we do with our friend over and over again, like, should I do this? Should I do that? My friend finally stopped me and she was like, Becca, you're a coach. You're a great coach. I know you're a good coach. And what would you tell yourself? And that just brought up so much for me, right? Like I got off the call like nicely, but Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to go think about this. What would I tell myself if I were in my situation? And I realized it wasn't so much what I would tell a client. Like I don't tell a client what I think they should do. I don't like come down from on high and say, Hey, Sally, you need to go become a yoga instructor. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I spent a lot of time helping people with clarifying questions, like really listening and then pointing out things. But really, it's mostly about listening to them and asking questions. And so I started just writing down all of the questions I asked people to help them break through to those aha moments. 
And as I was writing them down, I realized it was really powerful just to be asked the question, just to step outside of myself for a little bit and look at it in a different way. And that's what, when other people ask you questions happens, you step outside of the framework of the problem that you've been looking at and start to be more creative about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So much when we're in it, we can't see the forest for the trees, you know, because we're so far in it. Exactly. So, and we're yeah. just so stuck in our patterns of thinking. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to decide between two things and you're just going back and forth. And a lot of times when you're trying to decide, you're really fixated on the negatives about both situations and trying to really find a solution that's going to have zero negatives. And that's just not possible most of the time. So what's right. really needed is to kind of shift that focus to, okay, how, where is this bringing you? What is this decision or what is this dilemma? Once you solve it, where is that going to bring you to? And what do you want to be in line with your future? And so I think that having someone really help you see it in a different perspective Mm -hmm. is so helpful. So I kind of, I wrote the clarity journal because it was so powerful to me that I was like, you know, a lot of people probably don't even need coaching. You know, some people definitely do, but a lot of people, what they really need are these questions, like just that framework of how to get started on figuring your next step of your life out. And so I really wrote it for those people, the people that really just need help getting started with exploring this. Mm, Yes. Yeah. Because I think some of us are better at, quote, self-coaching more than others. And that's really, I feel like what um, this book and and so many others like it are is like a tool to help you self-coach yourself. And and even if you don't realize that that's what you're doing, that's fine. Like you don't have to name it as such. Right. (laughs) But really it is, you know, like thinking about, okay, what is my happy end result? And then how do I get there? And I think that too helps people at least start to narrow down when you say like they're in the classic, like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, or even just the swirl of overwhelm. Yep, exactly. And I think that also the more you do it, like you were talking about some people are better at being at self-coaching than others. I think some of that is really being open and honest with yourself and not trying to either sugarcoat it or some people actually just really gravitate towards the negative, being able to Mm -hmm. see the balance. And I think that having outside prompts to help direct you helps manage that a little bit better. Like, yeah, not just looking at it the same way. Yeah. And that's where I really see where like a a human coach really comes in, Mm -hmm. like a live person (laughs) right? (laughs) really comes in helpful because they're able to not only ask you that it's most likely going to be an uncomfortable question, but then hold space and sort of mm-hmm. allow you that space and that time to really think about it. But also it's that like a gentle confrontation of like, okay, you're here. You can't run away from this now. Like it's time that you like sort of step up and answer the question, evaluate it face that uncomfortable moment because that's also where like real growth comes from. I think it's being safe in the uncomfortable. Being safe in the uncomfortable and also having someone gently reflect back patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that 
and not just bad patterns. Sometimes when we think patterns, we're thinking bad patterns, but I find that a lot of people don't really fully understand what their strengths are either. And so when they are stuck, part of it's that they aren't valuing their own strengths as much as they should, because it comes naturally to them. And so they think that since it comes naturally to them, it should come naturally to others. And it's not as valuable as it actually is. And so sometimes also having a coach can really help you get more strong within yourself about knowing what it is you are bringing to the table in any given situation. Absolutely. That culturing that healthy self-confidence. Yeah. Because I think a lot of us are or sort of conditioned out of that as children. And then, you know, as adults, we're not sure what's quote bragging versus really, like you just said, speaking to our strengths and saying that in a healthy, confident way that that because of the way you bring it forward is also received in a good way. And I think so many of us are so afraid to be judged or seen as braggy or or even like big-headed or egotistical, you know, any of those things that we really don't give ourselves the credence that, you know, our accomplishments or our skills really deserve and that will carry us forward to more success. Yeah. Well, and I think also in school, we're really trained to believe that we should be able to do everything. You know, you take the like all of your subjects and there's usually one or two you do well in one or two you don't do well in and you end up everyone ends up focusing on the fact that you didn't do well in English or in science and that becomes the focus of what you are spending your childhood <laughs> hearing about people don't focus on hey you're a great writer they focus on why aren't you understanding this math concept? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we really, growing up, we enter the workforce and we don't really value our strengths because throughout school, our strengths weren't nearly as valued as our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's funny if you think about the whole dynamic of a job interview too, a lot of that is actually focused on your strengths. They want to know like what you're good at and, and some people, you know, get that deer in the headlights look when you ask them, they're like, oh, wait, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's job interviews are tough because yeah, I think it goes also into what you were talking about bragging. Like you have to brag in a job interview. You have to know yourself well enough to just really be able to speak fairly eloquently on the fact that you are awesome and you are the right person for them to hire. Yeah, you're valuable and you're going to bring value and and I think that's a, that's that's something else too that we're also not really taught to think in those terms of is value. Mm-hmm. And and I mean and there's a lot of talk these days especially in the self-help world about self-worth, but there's also a a legitimate tangible way that you, to put value on your skills for the perspective of a future employer or even a current one if you're going in and you want to ask for a raise or maybe it's your annual evaluation and you want to say hey you know i deserve this and more because of these things i've done for you and the company or whatever yeah. you know well, and I think society also has a tendency to 
not value women's contributions as much because they are just supposed to be contributing. Like we're supposed to do a lot of the emotional labor. I read this amazing article, I don't know, six years ago. It was during the Obama administration and it was talking about how the senior leadership, the women in senior leadership made an agreement amongst themselves to always back up the other women in the meeting and use their name. Like, Jen, that was an amazing idea. Or as Jen just said, and they really got into this habit of continuously reinforcing for the group that, hey, that was her idea and not letting, Mm. let's face it, someone else, (laughs) probably Mm -hmm. a man, just kind of take it and run with it. And then it's lost. And I think that like having, I sometimes just wish I could have been there because the idea of having that level of conscientious support from your female coworkers just sounded so affirming. And I Mm -hmm. think I'm focusing on women because I feel like we as women don't get that very much, but I think even for men, I mean, how affirming to have that as your workplace paradigm. Yeah. And I will even say, excuse me, that I think even as women are in management, unfortunately, I think the current norm overall still is women taking on that masculine role of leader and or manager. Mm -hmm. And so they do that because they think that's what they're supposed to do, or they've even been taught to maybe by one of their male mentors But we, as women, we just see the world differently. We respond to the world differently. And again, that can be so valuable. And I think that in general, women are doing themselves a disservice by not being more, uh, maybe just like self-exploratory and saying, actually, what, what are my unique qualities and abilities to bring to this leadership position that's really going to help build the team or, you know, expand contribution or have people be more invested while they're here versus just like showing up to work and doing their job and going home. But I think that's a shift in management overall and leadership overall in our workplace culture too. So it's, right. it's definitely an interesting dance and, and one that I've, you know, as a quote unquote employee, I've been witness to myself with having several, you know, women managers over the years, some good, some bad, just, just like every, you know, every person's experience through life, regardless if it's, if it's male or female, but yeah, I think that is, that could be so powerful yeah. because well, I think it's like it, collaboration, yeah. like having <laughs> that sense of like collaboration, I think that women are socialized more to be collaborative. Not that all women are collaborative and not that all men are not, but I think that girls are very socialized to be collaborative. And being able to bring that sense of energy into it, into management, I think is just such a valuable thing. But sometimes also then when women do bring in the collaboration, sometimes it becomes a little too they end up giving too much. Like I run into this a lot with clients. Like I listen to a female manager go on and on about how, so she's so stressed because there's not enough time in the day to do everything, but she can't delegate because this person has this and this person has that. 
And like, so there's that fine balance of being like a really good manager, a really collaborative manager, but also really, this is where the strength piece comes in, Mm -hmm. like a strong leader Mm -hmm. and making sure that everything is divvied up both fairly and in a way that's fair to yourself as well. Yes, I do think that's a big piece of the management aspect is the being fair to yourself. I feel like there is almost like this martyrdom role that's expected when you step into either like a manager or above, you know, C-suite leader, or whatever. So, but I also think there's there we're getting more in terms of like integrating leadership into management, but management and leadership are two totally separate things. And I'm I'm excited to see it grow and become more integrated, but I do feel like there could be more talking about that, even I think amongst teams that aren't necessarily managers yet. I think that could be super valuable. Well, because you can also be, I mean, you can lead, you can be a leader from behind as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of people that I run into that I can just hear their stories and I'm like, you're already a leader and you're not in management. Like yeah. management and leadership also aren't necessarily tied to each other. Like, you don't have to be a CEO to lead. Oh, absolutely. Um, you don't have to be a CEO to have the vision and be able to help people move forward. Mm-hmm. But I think that going back to the martyrdom piece for a second, because mm-hmm. I, I find that a lot of people at all levels have a tendency to get into the martyrdom situation. And when I run into that with people that are employed, it can be very hard to break out of that cycle within the framework of the job they're in now, because people have been used to taking advantage of the fact that if they make you feel like a martyr, you'll just go ahead and take Mm -hmm. on more than you should. And so it gets into this piece of like, wherever you go, there you are. I have clients who I help get jobs and I'm really, really clear that like I can help you get the next job, the next level or move industries. But if you get that job and you still are never going to say no or no is probably too harsh, but you're never going to push back if you can't actually get something done in a, with a, a reasonable quality of life, mm-hmm. then that next place is going to take advantage of you too, because they may culturally be taking advantage of you more than say another company would. But if you're always saying yes, the boss is always going to pile on more. It's just human nature. If you always say yes, and you never push back, the boss is going to inevitably be like, okay, well, she can do it. Like she's always saying she can do it. So here you can have more here. You can have more. Yeah. And so I really caution people that are ever finding themselves in that situation that it's great. If you get another job, you probably are totally burnt out from this job and you want another job. You need to really look within yourself about how you've contributed to this dynamic so that you can shift the dynamic when you move into a different position. Yes. No is a healthy and loving statement. It is. (laughs) It really is. Because it also too, like once you've said it and you realize that the world isn't going to fall down around your ears and end, (laughs) then you're like, oh, 
that was nice. <laughs> I have space for A, B, and C now. <laughs> Well, I have a friend who I love very dearly and she and I were talking just a couple weeks ago and she had made a mistake and she was really worked up about it and just very worried and anxious about how her boss was going to handle it. And I've been friends with her for a long time. She's been at this job for a long time and I know how much her boss values her. And I was just finally was like, they are not going to fire you over something that didn't cost them millions of dollars. Like, I mean, if you cost them millions of dollars, sure, you might still get fired. If you decide to go absolutely crazy, like, and show up to work naked, you might get fired. But like, it's the same thing with saying no. Like, you're not actually going to get fired if you tell someone you can't get something done. Or, yeah. So um, in my dynamic where I am now, it is, there is like, it's um, shifts. So I work in a hospital still. And so there's all these shifts and they all need to be filled, you know, so that we can provide the best patient care. That's the simplicity part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, life happens. So people go out on maternity leave and paternity leave and people get sick and people have vacation, all the, you know, all the things. Mm-hmm. And so there's some people that will continually say, yes, I will pick up this shift. I will do this, you know, and then, but inevitably they show up and they're exhausted. They're in a bad mood. They complain about being there and they, you know, honestly, they half-ass work when they're there. So it's almost like, why are you even here? It would have been better if you had just said, no, I can't do it. And the rest of us can actually pick up the slack. And so and I think this brings us perfectly into that mindful productivity that I wanted to ask you about. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, for me, mindful productivity is what you're talking about. It's really being aware of what's going on inside. So often when we talk about mindfulness, we talk about meditation. We talk about sitting cross-legged, breathing in and out. We talk about basically being Yoda or a Buddhist monk. And those things are great. And I love meditating. But to me, mindfulness itself is really about being aware of your whole body, what's going on in your head, what's going on in your heart and with your breathing, and what's going on just with all of your physical reactions in your body. And the more that you can really be aware of it, the more that you can actually start noticing when your productivity is lagging, that you can start noticing that you've actually taken on more than you can reasonably do. I think that it's the thing that really breaks my heart is I will have a client who will talk about procrastination and they'll be beating themselves up about the fact that they are procrastinating on something and be sheepish about getting on the phone with me. <laughs> I'll sit there and listen to them for 10 minutes. And the problem isn't that they're procrastinating. The problem is that they are in overwhelm. They are so overloaded with all of their responsibilities that the thing they love, the thing they wanted to do inevitably gets pushed to the side because by the time they're done doing everything else and being everything to everyone else, they are exhausted and they have nothing left to give to themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think this, this, I love 
I'm going to bring in the mind-body connection here because that's sort of my jam (laughs) is that, yes, I totally agree. Like mindfulness is a full body experience and practice, but also to it when we are, when we've overcommitted and we either we're procrastinating or we're just like, go, 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 go. And we are not stopping. We're doing our body a disservice because we are, whether we realize we're stressed out or not, most of us at that point acknowledge I am stressed. And so we're creating inflammation and then we're not giving ourselves the time to heal. Our bodies actually heal while they rest. And so then it becomes this vicious cycle of then you don't feel good. So then maybe you procrastinate, you know, something else or, you know, so it it becomes this snowball effect, this cycle. And so how do you help snap your clients out of that cycle? Well, there are a couple of things. First, I absolutely love the book Burnout. So in Burnout, she talks a lot about recognizing when you're entering a stress cycle and then doing something physical to actually release that stress. So in it, she talks about, you know, if you're stressed out going and working out, um, she also talks about like, even if you're stressed and you can't go work out, you're just like sitting in your cubicle, like really tensing up your body and like, and then releasing it to help Mm -hmm. release the cortisol. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things I actually really love doing is, I will put my hands down on the sides of my chair and lift myself up almost like doing like a reverse push up or something and just hold there until I can't anymore, like until I actually physically need to release. So I think there is definitely some of the actually learning how to manage the fight or flight response that you're Mm -hmm. ending up feeling when you're overwhelmed. But I also think that some of it's recognizing that that procrastination is actually necessary. Like, and you're not actually usually feeling good about it because you're beating yourself up. And so you're still re-triggering yourself. But if you have hit the point of such overload and overwhelm, your body is basically telling you, I'm going to shut down your executive function until you chill out because you need to relax. And I don't know physiologically if that's exactly what happens, but I can feel it within myself. Like if I am totally overloaded, then I can't get my brain to work well. And so Yeah. I mean, sometimes it can manifest in a lot of physical ways. It can be like, you'll drive yourself to like catching a cold or some sort of sickness or, but you know, other times it can manifest. I know like when I used to do this, um, (laughs) it would um, come on as migraines and I would literally work myself into a migraine. My body would say, no, (laughs) you have, this is your wall and would literally put me on the ground until it was over. And I give myself however much time I needed to recover from that. But then I would just go right back to the same cycle again. And so for me, which is, this is also part of obviously my journey is becoming aware. And I think a lot of people, um, it would behoove them to allow themselves the time and the space to figure out, okay, how much rest time do I need? How much free time does my mind and my body need? 
And then actually uh, what I found now is like planning around that. And so now with my work dynamic and my private practice, when I'm asked to work an extra shift, my first priority is, do I feel like I'm getting enough rest and recovery time? If so, then maybe I can fit that into my schedule. But if not, then my answer is lovingly, no, I'm sorry. I can't. My, I literally, my, I physically and mentally will not do that to myself anymore. And it's because I've decided to love myself and, and I've decided to feel more about, care more about feeling good than anything else. Because again, if I don't feel good and if I'm tired and cranky, then I'm going to be that person that shows up to work being half-assed too. <laughs> Well, and that's no good for your patients. I mean, I think yeah, exactly. Real it's just not good for anyone. Yeah. The real realization is realizing if you are showing up that way, you are actually not helping anyone. The people you think you are being good to, you are actually not being good to them either. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can't overstate that enough. It's like you yeah. are not actually helping anyone. And I think that one thing to also keep in mind is especially if you're a mom or a parent here listening to this, you go home and you need rest. You also can't be everything to your kids. Mm -hmm. You can't fill from an empty cup, right? You can't, you can't give more than you actually have. And I think that we just are trained that we are supposed to be on a hundred percent of the time. And so then we, end up binging five episodes of Netflix because we need to give our brain a a break. But that's not as satisfying as if you had just gone and taken a walk or if you had actually done something that was kind of more nourishing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we often exhaust ourselves so much that the thing that we are choosing to do in that exhaustion is just basically all we can possibly do. Yeah. So, and that's why I love this whole concept of mindful productivity because you're mindful about what sets you up to be where you are. And hopefully within that is it creates the container and the curiosity to figure out, okay, well, how can I create more balance? And then when I do, now I'm going to, I get to choose to do things that are more nourishing. I get to go for a walk and feel good. And then I can come back and I'm refreshed and maybe... I can do something else or, you know, spend this time with my kids or with my husband or your partner, whoever, or studying, you know, maybe you're still in school and, you know, it can be the same. Like I can, you know, infuse my movement and my exercise practice and whether that's going for a run or doing yoga or choosing to read a book instead of binging out on Netflix and, And in the end, you've created space for your free time, but you have actually nourished yourself at the same time instead of doing the work till collapse and then the mind checkout, Mm -hmm. which is the tool that gives, you know, your mind that break that it needs too. Yeah. I think another part of mindful productivity that is really important to me is the part where you're really looking at what it is you're feeling. And this is also that mind body awareness 
you know, a lot of times we procrastinate on the things that make us uncomfortable. And sometimes what's making us uncomfortable isn't necessarily really shined a light on. Like we ignore the fact that if we're starting something new, if we are trying to shift what we are doing, there is always going to be starting friction. There's always going to be that feeling of discomfort because we're doing something new. And so I think a lot of times what happens is if you ignore that starting friction, if you ignore the discomfort that's coming from whatever task it is you've chosen to do, that you've said you need to do, then to really look at what that is about. Like, what is your mind trying to tell you? Because a lot of times we just, we're so inundated with just do it, right? Mm -hmm. We're inundated Mm -hmm. with push through, push, push, push. Like, you know, if you just put your mind to it, you can do it. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but it's a very high stress level way of going about life. Yeah, it's not an and enjoyable way. Like no, it, it'll get it done, but <laughs> well, it might get it done. But if you really are scared of failure, if you really are scared of success, if there is something going on beneath the surface, surface that you were talking about working, like it sounds like you're building a a private practice, mm-hmm. like. There are a lot of things that I could see going into building a private practice that you could totally, I'm not saying you procrastinate on, but building a private practice, you have to figure out your billing. You have to figure out all these things that aren't why you got into this in the first place. Mm-hmm. And just using it as an example, like, you know, if you get into something and all of a sudden you're confronted with needing to set up a billing system, or if you're an artist and you decide you're going to go on Etsy, well, now you need to learn how to also do photography because everything needs to be pretty. Like there are a lot of pieces that go into our bigger life goals Mm -hmm. that make us uncomfortable. And a lot of times procrastination starts creeping in during that process because it is uncomfortable. It isn't your core competency and why when it comes up really sitting there and actually focusing on it for a second and focusing on what your body's telling you a lot of times it's actually easier to move through it than not push through it but to acknowledge i'm really scared that i'm going to mess this up somehow i mean how many people do we know that procrastinate entirely too long on their taxes taxes are a great example of this oh yeah it's like well, I'm worried that I'm going to mess this up and the IRS is going to like come after me for a lot of money. Well, if that's the case, like, and it's so hard that you can't even get yourself to push through it, it's time to really consider hiring a CPA so you have someone looking over your shoulder. Like yeah. there are o- almost always ways to mitigate the thing that you are scared of, but you can only find those solutions to mitigate those fears if you're aware of them. And if you're just so used to pushing, 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 then you're not actually letting yourself be aware of the fear in the first place. Absolutely. And I think too, you know, we, we touched on this earlier, like delegation from a managerial perspective, but even just delegating our, in our own personal lives, I think, yeah, taxes are a perfect example of we're not all accountants and CPAs, but if you find yourself, you know, like filing for an extension every single year, maybe it's worth it to like go to H&R Block and let someone else do it for you. Or like for me, like you said, um, you know, you alluded to the building of the private practice. For me, uh, it's marketing. 
and mm-hmm. and just learning that whole thing. And I think a lot of us have stories around things like that too. Like I've started telling myself from a young age, I don't like sales and I'm not a good salesman or, and so now that's translated to, I'm not a good marketer. And so it's now, and I'm glad you, you um, spoke about it so beautifully is that, yes, what I've learned is that for me to be successful, the most valuable thing I can do is sit down and investigate where these stories came from, why I've decided to continue telling myself the story and am I willing to give it up <laughs> and, and, and and starts telling a new story, a true story, you know, because these stories that we've created over the years most likely aren't true um, at their core anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and selling yourself, I think I hear the selling yourself a lot from lots of people because pretty much everything we do, eventually we have to sell ourselves. Like we have to sell ourselves to get another job. We're going to have to sell ourselves. If we are, have our own business, we are going to have to be able to speak to our value proposition in some level to make money because people aren't going to give us money if we can't articulate why we are awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so hard for so many people, because as you were talking about earlier, the bragging, like feeling like you're going to brag and being able to switch that fear into, I am not going to be able to help as many people as I want to until I can articulate to them how I can help them. Mm -hmm. And that's not selling because they need this help. You know, you're not selling cocaine. (laughs) You're not selling something that's (laughs) detrimental. You know, I mean, there are people out there in the world selling things that are bad. (laughs) Yeah. But most of us, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast. Love it. <laughs> is selling something near and dear to their heart. Like, and that is to make people happy or healthy or or more efficient or whatever. And mm-hmm. all of these things end up making the world a better place. And I think that's like focusing on the fact that like my marketing is making the world a better place. I love that. Yeah. And I think. I think too, that there is not enough focus on how showing up in our lives happy and healthy really is a service to the world. And so even if you're listening today and you're like, well, I don't own a business and I don't want to own a business (laughs) and I'm never going to be selling blah, 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 blah. That's fine. But this is something that I've learned and come to acknowledge in the past few years as well, that showing up happy and healthy is a service to the world. And it does improve, even if it's just my small microcosm around me, that actually has a huge trickle effect. And I think, especially with the state of the world today and so much tumultuousness, that if we all just focus on showing up as happy and healthy as we all can, it's amazing, I think, the difference that we could see in so many things and ways. And if nothing else, it is actually worth it to you. Yeah. You know, you don't have to justify being happy and healthy. Oh, hell no. (laughs) It is a service to your own body. Yes. 
Exactly. You know, I mean, I know you weren't saying like, no, no, but yes, that's worth saying as well. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's worth saying it's worth, it's worth shouting from the rooftops that you are helping no one if you are under stress and it is like kind of imperative that you help bring yourself back to center or get outside help whether mm-hmm. it is with a therapist, a coach, with a doctor, if there's like chronic stress from illness. Because I think one of the things that we often leave out when we are talking about stress and work is there are a lot of people out there with chronic conditions that they're behind the eight ball already. They already are under stress because they are hurting and then they're pushing themselves even more and then not getting the rest they need. I had during my second pregnancy, I had a chiropractic adjustment go really wrong. And basically I could barely walk. I had to use a cane. It happened in my first trimester and it took me years after pregnancy to get back to like full activity. Mm-hmm. And it was just so just knocked me flat. Like the first pregnancy, I was like one of those really annoying, glowing women doing yoga every day. And like, <laughs> probably people wanted to slap me. Um, <laughs> the second one I'm using, I'm like, like cranky pregnant woman using a cane chasing after a four-year-old. And mm-hmm. it's pain is really hard to push through. And so I would say that if you are in pain to also be gentle with yourself, if you have migraines, it's even more important to recognize that just do it mentality of our current culture is not actually looking out for your best interests. No, yeah, it's really not. I mean, and really if we looked at where that originated is for, you know, the who knows if it's like the capital, you know, the capitalism thing or the, you know, just like the greater good quote, I'm right. using air quotes. You can't see that here, but <laughs> you know, like, again, I feel like that's for probably like a cultural traumatic conversation for, for a whole nother episode. We can have a, the next episode is going to be on capitalism and why it spends so much time trying to get us like bring every last ounce of work out of us. (laughs) Yeah. But again, like just to illustrate that the, even within capitalism, there's a healthy balance, you know, I mean, there's plenty of fantastic, successful, balanced entrepreneurs out there. And so, yeah, I just. Plenty of balanced jobs. I was just talking to someone who from Memorial Day weekend through Labor Day weekend, every Friday, the office closes at noon. Did That's awesome. that company lose anything by doing that? No, they're doing some really interesting work in Europe. I think, was it Denmark? I can't remember which, oh no, it was Iceland, is moving to a four-day work week. And they've been doing a lot of experiments with it and productivity has not gone down at all by taking having Fridays off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's basically the government sector that's doing this. Mm. And you know, how yeah. different is that than our stereotypical American company that how many people do we know that work well more than 40 hours a week by the time you oh yeah, also count 
all of the morning and evening emails they have to write and just be constantly tied to their phone. It's just such a different mindset. Mm -hmm. And is it any wonder that we are less happy? Yeah. Or that you can only be productive during the hours of eight to five, Monday through Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Which is one of the reasons that I chose the medical profession was for that flexibility and so I am I am grateful for all of because I have a very creative schedule within <laughs> within my field now, which is enabling me to also have my private practice on the side, which provides me fulfillment in in so many more ways too. So all right. So we're starting to wrap up. What do you want to leave us all with today? Or or maybe is there something that we haven't talked about yet that you really wanted to bring forward? I just think that really clarity comes down to starting to be more open and honest with yourself. And the more that you can do that, the more you're going to start feeling better. You won't feel better right away because usually when we start that process, there's a lot of gunk that comes up, but the more that you can shine the light on what is going on, the more you will be able to set up your life in the way you want. And that's authentic to you. Yes. I love that. And I'm going to add something, maybe a tool that could be helpful for the maybe not feeling so bad for like right at the beginning, because you're right. Like, and I think I like to call it the objective detective. So like set the intention right off the bat that you're going to look at this from an objective point of view and not judge yourself and not beat up on yourself And then as you go through it, now I have started the process of being intentional. Like once I sort of like, quote, get to the end of a process, so to speak, is to make sure that I'm bringing, intentionally bringing in love and compassion and forgiveness for myself, for the situation, for the other players that are in it. And then that helps me, and I've started to use this with my clients as well, it helps them to already start to see the light on the other side of that coin. I feel like it helps give them more inspiration and momentum to keep going. I love that. I often talk about doing this in the spirit of curiosity. Absolutely. Because when you're curious you lose that judgment because that's all going back to mindfulness, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. being able to observe without judging. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So tell us where we can get your book. Amazon. It's easy to find. Just type in the Clarity Journal and you can get it. And you can find me at BeccaRibbing.com. Fantastic. And I see that you're on social media as well. Are you everywhere on social media like most of Uh, us? Mostly Twitter (laughs) and Facebook. Not Twitter and Facebook. Mostly Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Yes. Same here. Cool. Well, and I will put all of this on the show notes as well. So if anyone out there is looking for a direct link to Becca, um, just go over to uh, drlaramay.com forward slash podcast and you find all the show notes there. Thank you so much for being here today. It's been so much fun and we really appreciate your, your wisdom and the light that you bring to the world. 